Welcome to Inside the Agency. I'm your host, Michelle Govan. I'm your co-host, Nicole Shawcross. We have the fabulous Terry Knickerbocker with us that is known for his amazing coaching skills out of New York with the Terry Knickerbocker Studio. Terry, we are so glad to have you here today. That's nice. Thank you. It's nice to be with you both, Nicole and Michelle. Thank you. On Zoom. Zoom. <laughs> no. Via Zoom. Hey, if I could be in New York, I would be there in a heartbeat. Agreed. <laughs> We're both jumping I think, I, think, I think you guys are doing it better in Canada, I must say. I think we are. I used to live in New York. I lived in New York for about three years and I yeah. adored it so much. I miss it and I'd love to be back to visit some friends and well, the city. <laughs> yeah. We have I'm a sure good it's a little governor. different right now with COVID. It is. You know, I mean, they're just starting to open up gyms and there's out, there's a lot of outdoor dining. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really cleaning the subways incredibly. I've, I got nervous taking the subway, but everyone has to wear a mask. And for the most part, people behave and, you know, you don't touch the poles. And I, we have a great governor. We're lucky. I have no those poles. I have to say every time I'd hold myself in a stance when I was on public transit, no matter where I was in the world, I just thought that's just a lot of germs. Just don't touch the poles. Yeah. Come touch me. (laughs) Come infect yourself. Not to touch my face and to wash my hands right after. That's right. That's right. We want to jump in and talk about your start and find out how you began in the industry. Yeah. It's interesting. I was listening to, um, did my little research and I was listening to your podcast and specifically to one of your last episodes with Laura Mack and then um, with the Matt Del Negro, which is kind of how we're connected because um, Matt, I was on his podcast maybe over a year ago and then that led to Ayla, that led to Jeb Beach, who you've also had as a guest and now that's living to you. And so uh, the industry, of course, is something that you guys are hyper-focused on And I'm, well, I mean, where would we be without the industry? But I try to focus more on the art of it. And so my start, there there wasn't an industry. Like Ayla was a child actor at the age of seven and in Les Mis in Australia and and getting paid and joining the union. I started acting when I was four, but it wasn't professional. It was just like, you know, church shows and school shows and middle school shows and then musicals in high school and camp and I just did it because I loved it I loved I loved pretending to be other people and I loved telling stories and I loved yeah I love pretending and so I discovered that it was all I wanted to do and so the industry piece came after the love of of the thing which I think is true for a lot of people um mm-hmm. so I don't know how to answer the question about the industry especially because I've I pivoted or you know that's the word we all use with COVID um but was an actor and then became a director and then kind of fell into teaching. And, and then that became my life teaching and coaching actors, which is very much related to the industry. And there was professional work along the way, but um, it always comes back to the telling of the stories to me and, and doing that well. So how so, long have you had your studio? Yeah. So <laughs> I started this studio in uh just five years ago, 2015, I um, had trained with a, a wonderful teacher that many people know who, who died about a year ago, William Esper. 
um, and and Esper had trained with Sanford Meisner at the at the Neighborhood Playhouse, and and I went to study with Bill at his studio in New York City after graduating from NYU, um, and discovering that despite that amazing pedigree, um, I didn't always know what I was doing. That that not all actor training sets you up to know what you're doing, um, and. Meanwhile, I, I got the chance to watch this wonderful actor in a show backstage night after night, and he was just amazing and was doing everything I wanted to do. And I said, how did you uh, how, how'd you do that? And he said, well, I studied with Bill. And so I went and studied with Bill for two years and then like never left right. and, and, and then sort of discovered directing by accident and everything Bill taught me. And I like directing even more than acting because I like to be in charge and, and, I, and uh, I hear you, you know, I mean, I'd always like, I'd be in shows and I'd want to like, you know, dress the cat, the other actors in other costumes or tell them where to stand. And you, you know, actors shouldn't do that. You, that that's a no, no. So discovering directing gave me a place to put all those ideas, um, not just to be in charge, but to kind of imagine not just my role, but the whole thing. And then I quickly discovered that, um, you know, we say we say in New York that the theater pays you in hugs, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, directing, you know, doesn't even you get a half a hug. You know, it, it's pretty much impossible to make a living as a theater director unless you either have a long running show on Broadway like Joe Montello as Wicked or Julie Taymor as Lion King. Right. Um, or you're on staff at a theater, you know, like you're the artistic director or the associate artistic director or the um, literary director, or you teach, well, or you or you direct soaps. A lot of theater directors made a living directing soaps between gigs. So I, I tried that. I spent a day on Guiding Light, and it was um, there was. I mean, I want to say something mean, but I won't. It you just can wasn't say whatever you like. I just. I felt. I felt like my soul was being sucked dry just imagining myself doing that and mm -hmm. and it's not to say that there aren't wonderful actors and writers and and directors doing that work they're professionals they care they're not jerks but the kinds of stories that were getting told and the kinds of acting that i was seeing on that set and just the crazy hours i mean you were on set like at six in the morning till six at night and it's a very long day and um basically just calling camera shots, you know, and well, there's also no slow pacing in soaps. It's constant, yeah, like one it, take, yeah. one take, move, one move. Take, there's one, move, move, move. Yeah. Sink yeah. your teeth into yeah. a moment or a It motion. wasn't for me. It wasn't no. for me. So I, you know, and it would have been some good money. It would have been another fork in the road. So um, teaching and no theater in New York needed any staff. So right. We have a lot of great theaters, but all the jobs were gone. So I went to Bill and said, um, uh, how about teaching? And he said, I don't need any teachers right now. I said, well, how about I stay and watch you? Because um, the way to, you don't just go and teach, you have to watch, you have to apprentice. And, and mm -hmm. the, this lineage is about that, that, that Bill sat at Meisner's feet for many years before he started teaching. And then the people who taught for Bill uh, Maggie Flanagan, who's a wonderful teacher who has a studio in New York now and a few others. Um, you just sat in the back and took notes. So I just said, how about if I sit here until you tell me to go? And that began like a 30 year, um, relationship. And, and 
after a while, in, in the last five years I was there, I was starting to get a little bit itchy and sort of, again, wanted to be in charge. Right. And I had a great job there. Bill was an amazing boss and an amazing mentor and wonderful students. But I, I just kind of wanted to create something on my own. So in 2015, I... I left and, and started this studio. And man, that's a scary thing to do to go into business. <laughs> it really you know, is. <laughs> it really is. You know, and I, I had I had a kid and um, I had a mortgage. And I was like, if this fails, like, I don't have a plan B. I, I couldn't, I wasn't, Bill wasn't going to take me back. It was like goodbye right. forever. So it had to work. And it's not like New York was saying, gosh, you know what we need more than anything right now? Another acting studio. Like, <laughs> You know, it, it, it yeah. was glutted. You know, there's so many people who call themselves acting teachers and some of them know what they're doing and a lot don't. But I did it and and we've been really, oh God, I hope that's not the royal we. Me, my staff, my faculty and my students um, have really created something special and beautiful. And um, we had to make a major turn when the virus hit, but we did and we're doing it online now. But we have a beautiful space in Sunset Park in Brooklyn. And that was one of the things I think that helped me to set myself apart from some of the other places was really strongly committing to a Brooklyn location and a Brooklyn identity because yeah. pretty much everyone else was in Manhattan. And I think if you know New York, Brooklyn's got its own, its own flavor. You know, you cross, you cross the Williamsburg bridge and there's a sign that says, forget about it, you know, <laughs> literally, you know, so it, it's not as Tony as uh, Manhattan. Manhattan's great. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. Manhattan's Broadway, Manhattan's the Met, Manhattan's museums, but Brooklyn's got museums too. And, and it's got its own, vibe and plus no one can afford to live in Manhattan. So a lot of my students already lived in Brooklyn. So doing that helped. Oh, yeah. smart. Yeah, I, I think smart. so. Yeah. I, hey, look, I did the same. I lost my job and I had a newborn baby and I had to create some kind of employment. And I created a talent agency out of a basement suite in my home with no money. I winged it every day. And now we're about to celebrate my 24th anniversary. Amazing. So, but same yeah. thing. I think for me, I catered to actors that weren't really feeling supported because I yeah. used to do a bit of modeling. I tried acting for, I don't even want to say, but for like a month, someone's like, Hey, just try to act, but I'm six feet tall. And so 26 years ago to be six feet tall as a woman, I mean, they just looked at you like you were an alien. So I jumped to the other side, but again, now I, you could do game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I, I, what a great show. But for me, I remember talking to a lot of the people I knew in the industry. And the big thing that was missing was care. Yeah. And so the big thing that we work on at the agency and I have an agency called performers management is that we really do care. And it's about really nurturing the artist, really finding out what they want and directing that career that way and branding them right. Not just going, Hey, you have to succumb to this work because it will make you money. And if you roll over and do a lot of CW, even though that's not what you want to do, at least then you're going to get your feet wet. We don't do that. We have actors that sometimes will absolutely do nothing to do with CW or nothing to do with mainstream network television. They only want to do cool indie films and yeah. that's their choice. We nurture them yeah. individually. That's so great. 
Yeah. But I know Nicole wants to get into Meisner with you because she's a fan. I love Meisner so much. I took it back in after college and I, it was such a wonderful experience for me. What did you take away from it the most? Obviously training for 30 years with, with William. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think I have to say why I, I started the training and then what it answered for me. Mm-hmm. Um, which was graduating from NYU. Um, I mean, my God, what a great school. And, and um, I had great teachers and great classmates and um, was working, doing a lot of experimental theater I was sort of into and um, with people like Ann Bogart, uh, who, who's now quite a famous director, but at the time was just starting out and working at La Mama, which is a, the small little off-off Broadway theater that Hair, the musical, started at. And Sam Shepard started there. And um, and I had a wonderful teacher, an Israeli teacher named uh, Rina Yerushalmi, who was just a, a genius. She went to Carnegie Mellon. And she had a small scene study class. She was my teacher at NYU. And then after we graduated, she had this ongoing once a week, just keep your feet wet, go to the gym class. And, and I, you know, we were in, we did plays with her. She, she had a company at La Mama. And so one, one for a while I was doing a scene and it was great. Uh, it was Bertolt Brecht, a play called Baal. And I nailed it. Then she said, okay, now we're going to work on um, Morning Becomes Electra, Eugene O'Neill play. I went, great, let's do O'Neill. And this is a scene uh, between the brother and the sister takes place in the living room. The father's dead body is in a casket in the room. And it call you know, morning becomes Electra. Electra is a Greek play. It calls for like Medea sized emotion. Mm-hmm. And my brain understood from a script analysis point of view, what the script needed, but my training at NYU or me, just as me had no roadmap. It was like, driving a car without a GPS. And that terrified me because how could it be that one week I knew what I was doing and was solid. And the next week I was lost. Right. And, and this was a, a, a critical moment in my life. I tell this story a thousand times a year because to me, it's what this training's about and where so many actors are, um, not helped by their training or or don't think about training or get the wrong training because the training I'd had at NYU started with scene study. And that's how most American training, most Canadian, most British training mm-hmm. starts, right? I mean, maybe you do some sense memory if you're doing the method and or animal exercises, but the real meat and potatoes is you get a scene. So mm-hmm. freshman year at NYU, I was doing Streetcar Named Desire. And like either figuring it out or not, but look at other performing arts, look at dance, look at music. There's no way you would start the violin with Beethoven. No, no. <laughs> there's no way you would start ballet with Swan Lake, mm-hmm. but most actor training starts with scene study. It's normally chopsticks. I used to play the yeah. flute. <laughs> but like, I had a little lamb. <laughs> yes. But even before that, you got to have a C major scale. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And even before you do any dancing, you have to do plies and first position, second position. But there was that was never in the training. And so, of course, I was not the only actor 
whose work was hit or miss. Many actors report that. Sometimes I know what I'm doing. I pick up a script. It's like, bingo, I got it. Mm-hmm. Other times I pick up a script and shh, my head gets it. But like, where am I going to find this? Right. So that terrified me because imagine a dentist who one day you go to them and they know what to do. And the next day they go, what's a drill? Right. Mm-hmm. But so many actors were that. And I said, my, my value was about a quality, but B consistency. I wanted to be able to do consistently good work because there's no better feeling than going on set and knowing what the hell you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. It feels so good to go. I'm set. I'm ready. Now we can play. Yeah. And so focus I, I, on the role, not on the mental preparation. And just like, I know I feel ready. You know, yeah. it's like I'm going on a trip. I've packed. I have my passport. I, I change my money. I know what hotel I'm staying at. I'm not nervous. I'm yeah. excited. Um, and so that's when I saw this guy, Joel Rooks, and he studied with Bill. And that's what sent me to Bill was to solve this problem of consistency. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know anything about Meisner, which I don't know how I didn't hear about it. But at that time, because Meisner was alive at that time. Everybody who was big in acting in New York was alive. All the teachers. Lee Strasberg was alive. Stella Adler was alive. Uta Hagen was alive. And Meisner was alive. These are the four greatest teachers of the 20th century. And they were all working at the same time and all producing amazing actors. Mm-hmm. Marlon Brando, Stella Adler. Al Pacino, uh, Lee Strasberg. Robert De Niro, Stella Adler. Steve McQueen, um, Diane Keaton, Meisner. Like mm-hmm. every teacher had their own person to claim, but I'd never heard of Meisner. So Bill explained it's a two-year program and you start from the beginning. And, but I said, you know, but Bill, you know, as a, as a, as a student who graduated from NYU, where would you have me start? He said, from the beginning. I said, <laughs> but, but you know, NYU. And he looked at me like I had three heads and said, from the beginning. And it's not because you don't know anything, but we don't know where the holes are in you, where the gaps are. Right. So that's what, and Meisner, who not only was a member of the group theater, who all those other people I just mentioned, except Uta Hagen were members of, Strasberg, Stella Adler, were members of the group theater. And the group theater was this amazing group of people who loved theater, who made theater in New York, And then they saw Stanislavski, the guy we've all heard about, come over from Russia with the Moscow Art Theater and blow everybody's minds with the work doing Chekhov. Because up to that point, American acting was very bad. (laughs) American acting was like melodramatic. You must pay the rent. I won't pay the rent. It was crappy. (laughs) Right. That's what you would see on Broadway. And then we saw like real life. They saw and they said, wow, we want to be able to do that. And so they they started to study and talk to Stanislavski, and that's where the method came. And then a year later, uh, it changed. He started to get into more of the imagination. So what this training does, the Meisner training that I love, is, is Meisner was also a pianist. So he's there like, there's got to be an equivalent. I'm, I didn't talk to him, so I'm imagining this is his mindset. I'm making it up. <laughs> there's got to be an equivalent of scales for acting, Right. And I mm-hmm. think that's what the repetition exercise is, it's mm-hmm. that it scales. Now, no one goes to the, the concert to hear scales. I don't say, let's go to Carnegie Hall and hear some scales. But the more scales I do, the better I play Beethoven. Right. And so the more I work on these fundamentals, 
Like no one goes to the ballet to see plie, but if I do lots of plies and jumps and everything like that, then you give me choreography and it's already in my body. Mm-hmm. So this thing of the repetition exercise is so tiny, but so profound. And it's a little building block. And Meisner just kept kind of expanding it. So it's a vi- like most acting classes are just ongoing. You go to like the Strasbourg Institute, there is a progression in some of the exercises, but basically it's relaxation and then some kind of sense memory exercise and then a scene. Mm-hmm. And you do that whether you're a beginner or you're 10 years in. So what it means is it's like a gym membership. I don't mean to insult the method because it's, it's useful, but it means that you can come and go in a way. Right. And there's no necessarily beginning, middle and end of the training, Right. But mm-hmm. this, is a, this is a journey. It starts with something very small, like juggling one ball. And then when you get good at that, they add another ball. And then that's a little challenging. And then that gets comfortable. And then they add another ball. And by the end of the first year, you got a lot of balls in the air. But you've gotten there systematically, just like you would if you were learning to play the violin or learning how to dance. So what the might, this is such a long answer to your, your question, Nicole. And That's just okay, get, I'm enjoying the answer. I, I get excited, <laughs> but you know, what the Meisner technique did is it gave me a foundation. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a foundation that no other training I'd experienced. And I'd taken class at Strasbourg. I'd snuck into Stella Adler's classes while she was still teaching. I'd mm-hmm. work with the Grotow. I mean, like I had all this exposure to amazing techniques, like a smorgasbord. So I had lots of tricks, but no foundation, nothing solid that I could say, you give me a script, any script, and I know how to turn that script into behavior that's Mm -hmm. authentic, that's truthful, that's imaginative, that honors the writer, but also honors me as an artist. And I think that's what you should be able to say if you're an actor. Mm -hmm. See, everything you just said right then, that's magic to my ears. Because the biggest thing I struggle with, with either development actors or even my more experienced actors is show me your authenticity. Right. That's it. Right. And so it starts with that. It starts just with, and and what's so brilliant about it is that it starts with listening. And you, for sure, good acting has good listening in it. When you watch an actor, especially in film and television, where you hopefully get to do take after take, if they have a little bit of time and a little bit of money, um, a truly wonderful actor is able to stay fresh. They're not just like pushing a button and the same thing comes out. Like a lot of the same thing comes out, but I'm, I'm putting my attention on you and I'm looking at your face and your facial expression and your eyes and what's happening. And I'm noticing that Nicole is nodding. Right? I'm and, engaged. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I put my attention on you rather than, Oh shit, I hope I do a good podcast today and that Michelle's happy and that I don't fuck up. And you know, like, um, I'm not thinking about myself right now. My attention's not on myself. That's a good thing for acting. The worst place for your attention to be when you act is on yourself. Then you get nervous. You get self-conscious. Oh, my God, who's in the audience? And why am I wearing these underwear? I mean, like, uh, you know, <laughs> That's like, my next line. Yeah, yeah. What's my, like, so if <laughs> so I put my attention. You get much in your head. Yeah. I put, exactly. So I put my attention on Nicole, and then it comes into me. She comes into me, and I, I get to check out, well, how do I feel about that? And I go, well, there's something sweet about her, and I like her bangs, and I notice the, <laughs> you know, and. I like that to lose Lautrec behind your left shoulder. And, and uh, you know, and, and when I start to do that, things free up. So we could say that real listening is good. Truthful responding is good. Like how I really feel, mm-hmm. not my social response. And that's mm-hmm. a hard thing to get actors to 
relearn. Because as babies and little infants, and you know, as a mom too, children are totally free and they'll say anything. Yes. You know, they run around, <laughs> they run around naked and they say, mommy, that policeman smells like poop. And, you know, you go, she's giving me a ticket, you know, and it's like, but the kid's free and acting training. Who's doing the acting? The child in you is doing the acting. It's the, it's the child in you playing, telling grown up stories. And so to retrain a person to not give their social response but their true response is part of what the training is about as well. And then it also gets us to know how to, what we call crafting, but basically the work, the internal work we do to create the behavior that's necessary. You know, so the script has certain demands. I, this thing I was just working on with Ayla calls for her to be um, upset because her sisters in this script were blaming her for killing her mother. Okay, well, I got to get that stuff because when they say action, if I don't have it, it's not going to it's not going to work. So you have to be authentic, but you also have to authentically have what the script is calling for. You know, if the script Mm -hmm. calls for joy, you better find some joy. And if the script calls for upsetness, get the fucking upsetness. And good training sets you up to know where that lives in you. Free up the parts of you that are stuck because we all have blind spots we all you know some people like they don't like conflict some people don't like intimacy because it wasn't safe because Mm -hmm. so some people can't cry because they were told be tough boys don't cry that's weak and so relearning reintegrating remembering all those parts that existed when we were born in our original state is also part of what the training so there's unlearning and learning and the, the, the the i mean it's just there's no other approach to acting that for me, soup to nuts, works more thoroughly and completely and organically. And mm-hmm. it's not cookie cutter. Like it's got this very precise set of exercises, but it really releases the personality of each individual actor. But don't you find one of the things I struggle with sometimes I'll meet an actor who I can tell had a very strict upbringing. So they are very, it's like they have barbed wire around them. Their vulnerability has, has not been exposed. And my first thing to them is you have to shed that. I need to be able to feel you. Yeah. I need you to be vulnerable. No, and got, like that's said, scary. That's as scary. A kid, right. You're vulnerable. You're honest. Yes. But as an adult, we do, we put up these walls. We, Everybody has defenses. Yeah. You need defenses to be in the world. When you're a baby, you're born without defenses, but very soon you start to discover what do I need to do to survive? Yeah. And then it gets worse when you get to school and then in the neighborhood or the family, wherever the danger is, we are programmed like from cavemen to know how to survive. And part of surviving may mean constructing that barbed wire you just spoke about Mm -hmm. so i also that's why it's unlearning what's good is you're born with the stuff you don't have to go and find vulnerability you're born with it there's Mm -hmm. not a baby alive even if you had a screwed up mother right because i think stuff happens even when you're in the womb of course that's why they say like play music or you know if the mother's anxious the baby picks up the anxiety and if the mother's thinking, I love you and I welcome you and I can't wait for you to be here, that gets in there too, I believe, right? How intimate is that? But we all need defenses, but as an actor, you need to be free. Yes. And so there's there's no actor who doesn't have some kind of blind spot. 
And and I would tell that actor, get some good training, but also get a good therapist. <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I mean that. No, yeah. 100%. I want to spend that off. And I know you've already given some advice to actors, but what would be any of your general points that you really see constantly coming into your studio? Okay. Um, well, the first thing is, I think you need to be clear about your goals because anything you're going to do are going to be in service of something. And so if you're not clear what you're trying to create, meaning the life you're trying to create, the trajectory you're trying to create, then it's just throwing paint at the wall. Yeah. Right. So you can't just say, I want to open a restaurant. That's not specific. Right. And you can't just say, so when I meet actors in the process for studying at my studio and we don't just take everybody, which a lot, most acting studios, if you have a pulse and a MasterCard, you're in. <laughs> because they need students. They got rent to pay. New York rent yeah. is expensive. And, you know, come join the party. But the tagline of my studio is training the passionate actor committed to excellence. So that passion, if you don't have passion, we're not going to be a good fit. If you, if you can't commit, which means if you say you're going to do it, it's done. Don't say you'll try to come to my party. Say I'll be there, mm-hmm. right? If you're trying to, you know, put on muscle and, and get a six pack, that's a commitment, not a wish, right? And as Dr. Phil says, someday's not a day of the week, right? And I'm not a big yeah. fan of Dr. Phil, but I like that statement. Um, <laughs> and excellence, that's my North Star, right? So if you're not down to be the very best you can be, what what's the point? You want to be a mediocre actor? Yeah, there's the door. Why, yeah. Right. Well, who yeah. who I mean, that's not interesting to me. That's a hobby. Yeah. Right. For me, this is a calling. I mean, I wouldn't want to go see a mediocre cancer doctor. I wouldn't want to get my car fixed by a mediocre mechanic. I want to say when I say, yeah, I'm moving to a new place. Do you know a mechanic and are they good? Mm-hmm. I want someone who's good and has good pricing. And even if they're more expensive than some others, if they're good and they're going to keep my far- car fixed and they're not crooked, I want to be with that person. Any good restaurant? We just were on vacation in Massachusetts. So I asked the owner of the Airbnb, where's a great place to, to eat? Because I, I don't want to waste my time going to jerky places. No one wants right? to do anything subpar. Let's right. all well, about some excellence. people, But most people settle for it. So See, that's, thing, we don't settle at all. And that's right. me and just to... But I'll tell you, a lot of people do, right? But even with us, like we are very specific who we take on the agency. We have over 70 submissions a week. I think we've interviewed one in two weeks because same thing. We want to see excellence. We want to see something special. Well, that's your brand. That's that's your brand. And so if you start sending every Tom, Dick and Harry out for go sees or whatever, and then they go, why did you send me that person? Then they're not going to call you next time. No, and casting so, does know we have a high caliber. Right. So, good eye. so my name is on the studio. So if you're going to put my name on your resume, I'm not here to dick around. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is clarify your goals. Right. And be clear about that. And I'll tell you, when I ask an actor what their goals are, because that's how we sort of decide whether we're going to work together is we have, we have a conversation about training and what they want to do. Here's what 90% of actors say. 90%. This is thousands of interviews. I want to be a working actor. And my heart sinks. Yeah. And that's what 90%. I can't tell you the hunt. So many people say that. Now, what are they really saying? They're saying, I would feel so good if I made my living and paid my expenses for with acting money than with barista money. 
Yeah. And I'm just there like, where's your dream, man? Yeah. But they're, but they're afraid to claim it. Right. Mm-hmm. They're frightened to claim it. So the, the goal I like, and I'd say, well, if you were a tennis player and you were a kid and you love Serena Williams, what would your goal be? Just to play tennis and make money playing tennis? No. Well, what would your goal be? And we start to move towards, I want to be really good. That's the excellence piece. I want to be the best tennis player I can be. Okay, why? Why do you want to be the best tennis player? So you can go to the supermarket and say you're the best tennis player? No. Well, what does Serena do? She wins Wimbledon. She wins the Australian Open. She wins the French Open. She wins in the U.S. Open. Right. So, okay, now let's translate that to acting. I want to be the best actor I can be with my DNA, my body, my thing, whatever it is. I'm not in competition with anybody. There's only one me. So the best actor I can be, not better than Denzel, that's not the point. Just me with what I have to offer and skill. So talent, what I'm born with, I don't have any say over that. And skill, what I train for, Mm -hmm. right? So that I can play leading roles in projects I care about. Now, that may also mean I do a Marvel movie for money. That may also, you know, the ladder of how I get there that strategy, marketing, working with a great agent like you and like yeah. making a five or 10 year plan. But the North Star is I want to be the best actor I can be. That's something I'm in control of so that I can play leading roles in projects I care about, which means I get to say no. The indie film person you were talking about. Yeah. And Terry, right? I, I love what you just said, because there are actors that do want specific roles, but they do need to pay their bills. So, yes, there are times we strategize and we take certain projects to give them that supplement income so they can do these really gritty, awesome films that they want to do that they don't make much money on. 100 percent or How voiceovers balance. or commercials. Yeah. Yes. You know, if yes. I, I had this guy back in the day, his thing was puppets. He loved <laughs> he loved he had a puppet theater in his loft in Soho. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that was his thing. And but he did commercials so that yeah. he didn't have to work nine to five. So we yeah. do one Colgate commercial, make fifty thousand dollars that paid the rent and bought a bunch of puppets. Yeah. You're set right? for a year. You yeah. know, <laughs> so. So the first tip is clarify your goals and mm-hmm. claim them and put them on your refrigerator and like. I, I'm, I'm, you know, not to be too woo woo, but like we're big on woo woo. You know, I mean, like <laughs> manifest, manifest that shit, like fucking yeah, speak yeah. it in boards, positive, speak it into existence, speak yeah. it into existence, claim it. Yeah, right. It's like Jim Carrey writing that check to himself for ten million dollars. Yeah, for I love services. that story. Do yeah. that, man. Like, yeah. what do you want to be? So I had because everything created started as an idea. Here's an iPhone. This started as an idea. What would happen if we like had a phone and had, you know, this isn't what cell phones were like when they first came out. This is a whole leap forward. And that's an idea. Yeah. Everything created. Your agency started as an idea. This podcast started out as an idea. And now we're doing it. Right. (laughs) Right. And I spent a year in the year before I actually made the decision to create my studio that was a year of action. And the way you achieve dreams is you have the way you achieve is dreams plus action, right? Yeah. You need a dream, you need a vision and you need to take action. Right. So let's clarify the dream first. Then we can start to say, okay, what do we need to do to achieve that? So one is therapy. One is good training. One is 
watch as much as you can so that you're really an expert on the craft. Like you need to know material. You need to know what's out there. You need to know who did what. You need to watch the great performances of all time. I'm not talking about the business. I'm talking about the art. Mm -hmm, Of course. Um, Work on your voice. Work on your body. Do people watching, right? I think you had Larry Moss up there a while ago. And Larry's, I'm a a friend of Larry's and, and, and a big fan of his. And he's always saying, People watch. You go to a cafe for an hour and watch people and you're going to learn something about acting and characters, right? Read biographies, right? There's so much you can do to like have and, and have a, a circle of people who are winners. Don't hang out with losers. Don't hang out with people who aren't going anywhere. They could be your friends, but like it's helpful to have a, a mastermind group of people who care as much as you care so you can help each other. I got an audition. We'll inspire Joe, each other. And inspire each other. So each let's other. let's argue. Other What's yeah. Al Pacino's best movie, right? Some mm-hmm. would say this. No, are you Carlito's way? No way. It's got to be Godfather 1 and 2. Those passionate arguments are fun, right? Yeah. And have a balanced life. Eat well. Take care of yourself. Take care of your body. Travel. I think traveling is useful because you get to sort of experience the world. So because Hopefully we, we get are, to do that again soon. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> right. But, you know, because what are actors doing? They're artists are holding the mirror up to nature. So we got to know as much about nature as possible, which is what it is to be human in this world and have empathy, cultivate empathy. I mean, if you're going to play Donald Trump, I don't know if you saw this ridiculous debate last night. Oh, it was, I, I could I mean, it, only watch 10 minutes of it, it last was, night. It was, yeah, it was hard to I take. Struggled. But, I struggled. I had to right. turn it off. But, but here's a guy. This mm-hmm. is an interesting guy. And, and they're already, you know, there's a Showtime thing that just came out with Brendan Gleeson playing mm-hmm. Trump in the Comey story. But like, they're going to be a bunch of Trump movies. Whatever happens, whether he wins or whether he loses, because he's a fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. The narcissism. The ignorance, the arrogance, the, the 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 lack of sensitivity. Where he'd say, "Why?" You know, he goes to the, the the cemetery with his chief of staff, who's from the army, whose son is dead and buried from the army. There, he goes, "I don't get why people would like want to do that. Why would they want to join it?" Right? What an amazing character! But you can't do that character from a place of thinking he's a monster. Right. You can't do it from a place of thinking he's disgusting. You have to make it up out of empathy. What happened to that little boy with his dad, Fred Trump, and his mother, Mary Trump, and his brothers and sisters growing up in Queens that led to this? So and Terry, someone I, who does that is going to be, that's cool. I love what yeah. you're saying because there are characters that come out that are very dark. You know, we can talk about some of the famous murders. You know, a lot of actors shy away from playing rapists or dark characters or anything, especially based on true history moments. And, you know, someone does need to play these characters. So what do you advise your actors when they are brought into something like this? Like they're giving a very heavy, politically challenging role. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you got to make sure that the script is, is uh, written with humanity. You can't just like, you know, be putting babies into microwaves for no be reason. Dalmer for no yeah, yeah. reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. yeah, but even that has something happening, right? So right. what led to that? And be curious and try and find the humanity, but it's got to be written well. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just going to be violence porn. Yeah. And and you don't want to be associated with a project like that, even if it's a big paycheck. That's because what I always say to the clients. Look who's writing it. Look who's directing it. Look who's behind it. And read sure it. 
Yeah. You know, and if it's yeah. not for you, the biggest power you have as an actor is to say no mm-hmm. and, 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 it, and no regrets, you know, just move on. Um, but if it's well-written, I mean, you look at, you know, Hannibal Lecter, Sans the yes. Lambs. I mean, now that's an iconic sociopath played amazingly by Anthony Hopkins. But what a script. And Insane. what, a, you know, Jonathan Demme, you know, Jodie Foster, like everybody associated with that project. It's a perfect storm of quality. Mm-hmm. And yet it's horrifying, but it's watchable because it's and it's done with such ease. You know, I mean, Anthony Hopkins just and really and great. Yeah, you know, but it's horrifying. It's oh, it's one of the right? most horrifying movies I can watch. Yeah. But it's so special. Yeah. And so it's got to be a, it's got to, it's got to have quality associated with it. Don't just do it for the paycheck. And, and then you got to locate inside yourself. You got to be honest. No one's a saint. No one is a saint. And people, you notice all the politicians and religious figures who we find out have dirty secrets are because they wouldn't admit that they were dirty. So we had the governor of New York and it turned out he was seeing a hooker. We had the attorney general of New York and it turned out he was beating his wife or girlfriend. You have all these religious peoples and evangelicals who it turns out have little, you know, weird, crazy things, including recently Jerry Falwell Jr. And, you know, like, why? Because they aren't integrated as human beings. They don't say, you know what, sometimes I like a little whatever on the side. Or, you know, like if they were more honest, because the guy who got who was the governor of New York, what was he known for? His name was Elliot Spitzer. He was a law and order candidate. Right. So his thing was, it's got to be right. I'm right. And meanwhile, he's seeing these hookers in Washington. So no one's a saint. If you're going to play that, that's got to live inside you somewhere. Right. Right. So I historically, you know, when I grew up, uh, parents used to hit their kids a lot. Now it's not so cool. But I got hit. I got hit a lot. And my wife, who's Irish, she got hit a lot. So and I don't think my parents were abusive. It was just like what you did. Right. It's what you knew. You know, but when our son Henry was born, we made a vow that we're never going to hit him. Like, that's just off the table. That's not going to happen. But boy, I could play an abusive father. Yeah. And that would be cool because I'm willing to admit that that guy lives inside me. I don't act on it. Right. But I have an abusive father in me somewhere. Yeah. You know, because you can't act what you don't understand. So you can't judge it. I actually got the pleasure of meeting one of your uh, actors, Sam Rockwell. He was doing a single shot in Vancouver and he had just killed one of our clients and was burying her in the woods. And here I am. It it was like, I don't know, eight degrees Celsius. It was freezing. We were in these deep, dark woods. What an amazing man. But again, that was a very dark character. Very dark, but also brokenhearted. Yes. That's a brokenhearted fellow. He's not just a bad guy. No. And that's what Sam, Sam's probably my best friend. And we were just working together and this weekend on something and, um, and stuff's coming back. I know it's coming back already in Vancouver, but it's coming back in London and like the projects are starting to flow. Yes. Um, which is nice, but, um, you can't play. What's so great about Sam is that he finds the broken little boy, the hurt little boy, you know, his first big break was um, The Green Mile. He was incredible in that. Right, which we worked on together. And that's a guy who is um, 
uh, talk about a pedophile. He 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 sexually molests little girls and then hurts them. Well, and then and he's he's a badass and he's he's uh, and then he's got like this Achilles heel, you know. And so we had to find the humanity. You can't just go in and play a monster. That's not that's a cartoon. That's not real. And so you can hate Sam and that character and then feel sorry for him. Mm. And that's what's cool. What advice would you give your actors who have played a really dark role and had to go somewhere very dark and deep? How would you tell them to step away from that without too much residue? Yeah, well, first of all, it's make-believe. We're playing. It's play. So it doesn't have to stick in there. It is, it is, we're, you know, that's why they call it a play, right? So I don't, there's, there's no evidence that feelings are toxic, right? You know, rage isn't toxic, shame isn't toxic, sadness isn't toxic. There's nothing harmful about feelings. They're just things that happen in your body. So I'm not of the opinion that going there is bad for you. I'd say if you're checking out trauma that exists inside you, you shouldn't work on that. You should go to a therapist, get that healed. And, you know, if you were sexually molested as a child and you have to play a part that's like that, you may not be ready to play that part. And that's okay. Get the healing for that because everything can be healed. Everything can be healed. Torture can be healed. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that movie room where they were locked up, oh, yeah. you know, for seven years. That happens to people and that can be healed. All stuff can be healed with the right therapy and patience. So you don't want to use, you know, that thing of use it, use it. I'm so against that. I don't believe in that. That's why I'm so into the, the imagination, not what was, but what could be. You know. I love what you're saying, because I have heard so many coaches say, go to that dark place where you were raped, abused, beaten. And you, no. like you said, you're waking up this demon that may not have been healed. And then that's why you are going to have more of a residue when you wrap Exactly. It got to be able to turn it yeah. off when it's time to turn it off. And right. it's like, you know, it's like being on the operating table. They open you up and then they go, OK, they that's a wrap. And like <laughs> nothing got stitched up. So. Yeah. So that, um, and let's say it's all play and, and it's all make-believe, but it's still very dark. Like, let's say it's a play, mm-hmm. right? So eight shows a week, you're playing a very, very dark character. I think you need to go bowling. I think you need to, <laughs> you know, you need to switch it up. You need to like- yeah. Have a dance go, party or something. Go have a dance party. Go for <laughs> some ice cream. Don't live there. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the middle path, as Buddha says, you know. So that's what I would say. First of all, it's not dangerous, especially if you don't go to the trauma place. Right. Right. And and then uh, switch it up. But it's not like, you know, some people have like a, a ritual for like unzipping an invisible costume and then sort of sh- shedding whatever you need. I, I don't need that for personally. I, I just like change the channel because this too shall pass. I used to do, I, I'm really into therapy for myself, you know, and um, for my students. And I love group therapy, group. And so I do individual and group and they sort of bounce back like, oh, I get him all to myself. And then I'm in the family and I have to fight for the food and, you know, learn about relationships. So I had this brilliant group therapist I was with for 15 years. He died when he was 90, about 10 years ago. 
and I'd have group just before I taught. So sometimes in group, because you regress, when you go to group, no matter how old you are, what happens is it just kind of is like, it's like taking acid. You just like regress. And so all of a sudden, like the three-year-old in me is falling apart, is screaming, is like feeling the worst feelings ever, like the worst. And then it would be like, okay, time to go because we end on time. Yeah. And I leave and I feel bad and I hate everybody. And I'm like, that didn't happen all the time, but sometimes it happened. Yeah. And I get on the subway and half an hour later, I'd be teaching and I teach the best class I'd ever taught. Because you were raw. I don't know that if I was maybe partly, but also just like, oh, that was then. This is now. Yeah. Like I didn't have to drag that thing in and go, okay, guy, because what I had a job to do. Yeah. Right. So the, the the capacity of human beings is so big, you know, and you can do so much. So I don't, you know, there's no victim in acting. No, I love that. And yeah. I think it's very cool that you've adapted during this time where we all have adapted as human beings during COVID and have taken your school online. So does that mean for you, it opens up to wonderful Canadians? Doing I have had, I had a bunch of Canadians this summer. That's amazing. See, but now bun- you're branching out because you're I online. Did, I did. I had, you know, yeah. And, and that's, that's that, you know, I mean, when this thing happened back in March, I was there like, shit, we're going to have to close the doors. Yeah. I, I just didn't believe you could teach acting in this medium. And, and I said, you know, NYU was, was going online. I was there like, that is insane. I was so mad and yeah. so doubtful. I was like, and I just said, you can't do it. No way can you do it. And then, I, well, maybe you can. And I, real, I remembered that I'd coached. I did nine seasons of Shameless on Skype with Emmy Rossum mm-hmm. every I mean every one of my did, favorite shows Emmy's we did great. the you know we did the the pilot epi- audition in person but once she got the part she lived in LA I was here and every Sunday when they were shooting I'd have the script I'd have read it and we'd go through her scenes and then she'd shoot what we did so oh yeah and I've I've done Skype with Sam and FaceTime when he's not around and Zach Efron and Sasha Baron Cohen and a bunch of people so Okay, that part works, but I don't know, teaching? Let's see. So it worked. So now it seems like, yeah, I can't wait to get back in person. I don't know when that's going to happen. But it seems like there's going to be an online division of my studio so that folks who can't come to New York or they don't get the visa or they're, they got families in Canada or whatever, Canada, Israel, wherever, um, can do the work. And, oh, that's and, amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Global. I'm ready to have therapy with you <laughs> after listening to you talk for an hour. I need some group therapy, Terry. It's worth it. I bet. My question is, what advice would you give your younger self, either getting into acting or getting into the industry? I knew you told me you were going to ask me that question. So I, <laughs> I, and then I, I was just listening before we spoke to what Matt Del Negro said. Um, just um, <laughs> that song, climb every mountain, forge every stream is what came to me. Mm-hmm. Like, just do everything. Don't like, uh, life is short and there's so many opportunities and don't take yourself so seriously and try to have fun. And and, and I put my arm around my younger self and, and uh, in, in the play Orphans, which is also a wonderful movie. Uh, this older character, Harold, 
puts his arm around one of the young boys and says, I'm just giving you an encouraging squeeze. And, you know, I, I would I would say it's going to be OK. It's going to be OK, because there was there have been, some, I, you know, I suffer from anxiety. I worry. You know, I sound very, I sound I very, too. I'm having yeah. fun with you guys and like <laughs> acting like an expert, but uh, I freak out. I freak out. And if it, if it can go wrong, I'm worried it's going to go wrong. And of course, most stuff has worked out. Most, yeah. most stuff has worked out. Um, so I would put my arm around that younger self and say, it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Somehow it's going to be okay. And, and, and have some fun and, you know, eat some ice cream and ask that girl out and, go to Europe and a lot of which I did, but um, don't worry if it's going to like lead to the thing because life, life is to be enjoyed. Yeah. Nicole and I constantly say that things don't always come to you as you hope they do, Yeah. but when they present themselves, make sure your eyes are open. Yeah. Accept them and see that the path may not be what you thought it is, but it might be a better path. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I applied to Yale not once, but twice. And mm-hmm. my whole life was about getting into Yale for directing. They only mm-hmm. took four people a year. Wow. So like, I had to get in. And then I applied again. And I, and I, you know, I thought, and I didn't get in. Yeah. And I thought my life was over. Yeah. And that would have been a different route. And this is the route that happened. And I wouldn't change a thing, including I- the, in the applying and the not getting in. I was doing kids merchandising for a store and I lost my job when I was pregnant. And then I went to work for an ad agency to create an agency, lost my job again when I delivered my baby and it threw me into this. So like you said, it's sometimes these doors shutting. It means another window's opening or a better door is opening. And it's okay. 1,000%. 1,000%. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was such a pleasure to chat with you today. Like I said, yeah. I, I want to come to group therapy. You are amazing. You're such uh, an inspiration by how you yeah. speak and so passionate. You're well, so I'm not a therapist. I just want to be clear. I'm not a therapist. But, but <laughs> I don't think you can be an actor unless you really understand yourself and human psychology. So I've spent a lot of money and time trying to understand myself and understand other people because that's how you play characters with empathy and humanity right but i'm 100%. not doing i'm not doing therapy in my class that's i send them to therapy <laughs> send me to the right therapist terry yeah, yeah. Ready. recommendations okay. well it's so <laughs> nice it's so, so nice you you guys are easy to talk to and very friendly and very pleasant i had a good time thanks we had a great great time. such a pleasure to talk to you 